1: Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Cramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The stock market is not infallible. Sometimes it's dead wrong. And taking your cue from the mistaken action can be a big mistake. On days like today, Dow sank 138 points. S&P lost 0.55%. NASDAQ declined 0.47%. I see stupid things happening all over the place. So I'm urging you not to jump to any conclusions based on the tape. Remember, the big money managers who control the day-to-day gyrations in stocks get things wrong all the time. Let me give you some examples. Back in January of 2016, the price of oil plummeted to 26 dollars a barrel. At the same time, the stock of Schlumberger, also known as Slob because of its symbol SLB, the world's biggest and best oil service company, saw its stock hit 61 bucks. Yet today, with the price of oil more than double where it was back then, Schlumberger has plummeted to 61 bucks. Hmm. Now, someone sent me a tweet earlier this day asking what to do with the stock of Slumberger, which is a charitable trust holding. I talked about it yesterday on the ActionWordsPlus.com club monthly call. I said if it goes below 60, it's probably worth buying because it's ridiculous for this stock to be this cheap versus the price of crude. Right now, the price of crude is at 55. Slumberger shouldn't be trading where it was back when crude was at 26. Of course, I could be wrong. But then again, you ever think that maybe the stock's wrong? Think about it. When oil was down at 26, I know there were plenty of people who foolishly thought it would bounce right back. Paul Kibsgard, the CEO of Schlumberger, was not one of them. He moved aggressively to lay off workers and cut costs to the point where his company could remain profitable during the downturn, unlike so many others in the oil patch. It doesn't mean that Schlumberger was as profitable as it was before the breakdown. That's unrealistic. Nowhere near it. But it does mean that when things come back and the company believes – that will begin to happen next year when the big state-owned oil pr- producers need to replenish their depleted wells. Schlumberger's resurgent business will be a lot more lucrative. And in the meantime, the company has been buying back stock and it pays a dividend. It gives you uh, about a 3.2% yield. That's not bad, 326 Again, there's no assurance that Schlumberger is right about 2018 being a pivotal year. That said, who could, would you rather bet with? The executive who realized that oil would stay lower for longer? or the many other CEOs who came on our air and just couldn't see it happening. They thought it would bounce back immediately. Hence why I think the price of Schlumberger's stock is irrational. Of course, to borrow a line from the late great economist John Maynard Keynes, markets can stay irrational longer than you can say, "solve it. Plus, the earnings can be damaged by all sorts of things, like Ecuador missing a debt payment, something the company announced today. Still, at the end of the day, it's crazy for Schlumberger to be trading as though oil's still stuck in the 20s. This is the premier oil service company in the world. Their customers, the producers, are trading well above where they were when crude was at 26. Schlumberger deserves to do the same. But that's just the tip of the iceberg of irrationality. Hey, you've also got Home Depot. Here's a company that reported dramatically higher than expected same-store sales yesterday. They're up 7.9%. Wall Street was looking for 5.8%. That is what we call a huge beat for the single most important key metric. Wow! So what happens before people even know, let alone digest the conference call, Home Depot stock opens down two bucks down on the call, though, the company told you about some incredibly strong categories and terrific business in multiple aisles, as well as giving you some very encouraging e-commerce figures. Always important because of Amazon lurking. Best of all, Cal Tomei, you know, one of my favorite CFOs presented data about price appreciation, in housing and millennials finally getting off their parents couches which lend themselves to a multi-year growth scenario for the chain. Bam! The stock leaps five points. Now, if you were just taking your cue from the action, you would have decided that Home Depot had had a terrible quarter. It was right there at $163, down two bucks, and a lot of people sold. It's just that the sellers turned out to be wrong. And you really don't want to be wrong in this business. It's too expensive! Of course, Home Depot stock got dinged again today thanks to the market wide sell off and the usual worries about what Amazon is going to do next now that it devastated the supermarket space with its newfound price cuts. But home improvement is still very much Home Depot's wheelhouse. I think the stock's a buy. Sometimes money managers simply don't understand the time honored strategy of U under promise and then over deliver, like Brian Cornell, the CEO of Target, who practices it in the extreme. Cornell's constantly beating numbers and then lowering his forecast, citing on promotional environment almost every single quarter. It's like clockwork. Today's today's target stock took a huge hit, nearly 6 bucks, or about 10%, when the company once again gave weak holiday guidance after a good quarter. That's distinctly suboptimal, given that the holidays are the money quarter for everyone in retail. But when you take Cornell's U-Pod track record into account— that weak guidance seems a lot less grim. At these levels, the stock yields over 4% with a safe dividend. I think the action in the stock is wrong. Ooh, then there's the stock of IBM. The last time IBM reported, the company gave you what I think investors consider to be its last tough quarter. And the stock, the stock skyrocketed. It went from 146 to 162, three days. Since then, though, this has been a beatdown. It has been pummeled. All the way to one hundred and forty seven dollars. Did IBM screw up? No. We have just subsequently learned today that Warren Buffett, once the largest individual shareholder, has been blasting the stock to kingdom come. Having sold a third of his position as of September 30th, according to some SEC filings. No doubt he used the recent strength to try to dump the rest. Hence. That miserable trajectory. Does that mean IBM stock is a buy now that it's nearly round trip to where it was before that latest quarter? Not necessarily. For starters, we have no idea when Buffett will be done selling, and few investors like to own a stock that he's given up on. That said, at these levels, IBM stock yields 4%. And to me, the stock feels like it's become an emotional juggernaut. But, 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 but. I believe in the turn here. I think the stock can go a little lower, but boy, is it getting intriguing. Or take the stock of Procter & Gamble. People sold this stock down, and they sold it down hard when we learned that Nelson Peltz from Tryon had lost his proxy fight to get on the board of directors. Not so fast. Turns out, a recount, Peltz won by 43,000 votes. And the stock is soaring in after-hours trading. Now that he's going to come on the board, because people think he's going to shake things up. Or how about Cisco? Cisco! Oh, we've had a couple disappointments recently from this one, haven't we? And the stock reacted poorly to each one of them. It became more of a dividend and repatriation play. Until tonight, when the company blew out the numbers. And the stock's rocketing in response. Finally, there's the stock of Disney. Oh, talk about controversial. Talk about taking your cue from the action. Talk about stupid. This stock has been in the doldrums Jones for ages because of worries about court cutting and ESPN. <laughs> But last week, Disney shares took a giant dive down to the high 90s when the company reported its earnings. but by the end of the week, it was back above 105. Now, if you took your cue from the mayhem when the stock was in the 90s, which happened to be an after-hours trading, which I have told you over and over again is the Wild West, and I don't want you there, well, you had to believe the quarter was just awful. I mean, didn't the stock take a big hit? Wasn't it the latest in the long line of woeful ESPN subscriber losses? No! The quarter included a lot of hurricane losses from Disney World and spending from BAM Tech, which is going to be the company's incredibly cheap baseball streaming service that I envision catching a dozen games a week on. If I can get away with it, which I probably can't. And, of course, they're expanding it beyond baseball. Plus, the Shanghai Disney numbers and the fact that there's a new Star Wars coming out next month made me think, enough already with the woe is me, ESPN story. There's just too much to like here. And that's why the stock went up. And it's probably not done going up. Now, part of me wants to say that the whole market can be wrong at times. These days, if Germany's market is down 1% and Britain's down 1% and Japan's down 1%, we'll find a reason to sell off. Like the Senate insisting on rolling Obamacare repeal into their tax bill or a rogue Republican senator not going with the plan, which means they don't have enough votes. But here's the bottom line. Do not take your cue from the action. In this business, stocks are often wrong. Instead, you need to do your own homework, pick your prices, and then patiently wait for the names you like to pull back for a bad reason, something that happens with alarming frequency. We're starting with Mitchell in Wisconsin. Mitchell! Good afternoon,
2: Mr. Kramer. This How are This is you? Mitchell calling, and I'm an 18-year-old investor from Wisconsin.
1: 18-year-old? Today- I thought that the only people who bought stocks anymore were 93-year-olds. Good to have you. <laughs> now. But, anyways, today I'm calling about an energy stock that has stood stood out in the sector. The company has had a return on equity of 14.5% and has beaten on top and on the bottom for the last four quarters. The stock is Devon Energy Corporation, ticker DVN. What are your thoughts, Mr. Kramer? All right, well, Devon is trapped with the rest of the group. So it doesn't really matter what I have to say about Devin. If this was a day that's bad for oil, it trades. They're just like all ETF-like. There's no diversification in any one of these. So Devin is trapped. I think oil is going to go higher, ultimately not lower. So I'll bless it. But understand, all oil stocks trade together, even though they shouldn't. Let's go to Linda in my home state of New Jersey. Linda.
3: Hi, Jim. Thanks so much for taking my call. Of course. Yes, my question is about the cell tower stocks, American Tower and Crown Castle. Mm -hmm. They've had such a great run in the past few months. Do you think they're still a buy?
1: I have to tell you that this is an arms race and people need more towers. And so, therefore, I, I'm going to bless Applied. I'm not as close to Crown Castle. We had Mr. Taiklin on as the CEO of American Tower recently. I felt very good about the international business. I think you're just fine. Don't buy all at once. The Stock dumb Ties has very sharp reactions down if we hear about a merger talk broken by David Faber like the story with proctor tonight don't follow the crowd people sometimes the market is wrong get wrong that's why it's key to do your own work and reap your own gains i'll try to help you out oh man money tonight looking for wall street's newest bitcoin play it may come from a stock you already know or maybe have used don't miss my exclusive with square after news that it jumped on the bitcoin bandwagon then as a father of two millennials I know how hard they can be to understand. But they could hold the key to growth in this market. I'll explain. And it's a company that powers kitchens from McDonald's to Walmart to Starbucks. But can the stock still bring the heat? Don't miss my exclusive with the CEO of well Bill, And stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Some socks truly do not know when to quit. Just look at Square, symbol SQ. It's the payment technology company. I'm going to emphasize technology in that sentence. With devices that make it easy for anyone with a smartphone to take credit card payments. In addition to their point-of-sale hardware and software, the company has a bunch of other businesses like a lending arm, Square Capital, a cashless payment system, Square Cash, and even their own restaurant delivery platform, Caviar, which we use at Bar San Miguel. Ever since its IPO nearly two years ago, this stock has been on fire. In fact, just since the beginning of 2017, Square's stock has effectively tripled and it just keeps getting better. Last week, the company reported a fabulous quarter, great acceleration, 45% adjusted revenue growth. Then today, the stock surged on news that Square started testing ways to let users buy and sell Bitcoin on their platform. What do we need to learn about that? While the share price gave up most of their gains as part of the broader pullback, I think this already positive story has suddenly gotten even more intriguing. So let's dig deeper with Sarah Fryer. She's Square's chief financial officer. Hear more about the quarter and this new Bitcoin initiative. Ms. Fryer, welcome to Mad Money. Good to see you, Sarah. Have a seat. Thank you. you. Thanks for having me. All right. So I am struggling with the idea that your technology, your finance and you are empowerment because you help a lot of little companies be like big companies. Yep. So which are you?
2: We are all of that. Okay. Uh, we want to empower companies to make sure that the small companies have all the tools that the big companies have. We started with a simple thing, never miss a sale, and today we help you manage your whole business.
1: And how many, uh, what total addressable market and how many customers could there be?
2: So we look at it in the U.S. We think we have about a $26 billion adjusted revenue opportunity. Uh, This year we'll get close to about a billion dollars, so we're only about 4% penetrated, and that's just the U.S. We look at... Same struggles for small businesses globally, so about an 8x opportunity when you start taking it outside the U.S.
1: Okay, now uh, we see small businesses, really small merchants, they go to flea market and they have it, but for a restaurant, you've got a device too that can do more?
2: So we really try to span the whole continuum. Mm -hmm. We don't really see ourselves running out of room, like how big a business could you square? You're right, it often starts small. Mm -hmm. Um, Farmer's market is a great example. But then you start looking at some of the new hardware that we've just launched, which we love. Right. Um, This is great for a larger seller, someone who maybe has multiple registers sitting on a countertop, uh, a bar like Bar San Miguel. All the way up to with our API platform, we now can work with really big merchants who want to do something innovative at the point of sale. So okay. we see folks like um, Restoration Hardware, William Sonoma, really? doing, okay. um, they're ultimately doing warehouse sales. So pop ups over a weekend would be a great example of it's not their full time point of sale but it helps them be innovative and creative to make more sales.
1: Excellent. Now, when I saw, uh, when the, uh, on the, I saw Jack Dorsey when he came to the floor of the exchange, mm-hmm. and the first thing I said to him was like, isn't Visa going to put you out of business? And he said, common mistake, we work with Visa. Right. We yeah. work with
2: everyone. Yeah, Visa was actually an early investor in Square. Right. Um, yes, we do. I think people get mixed up between what is a payment type. So we think of cash, checks any form of digital motion, debit cards, credit cards, all the way up into potentially virtual currency, um, those are all ways that a buyer wants to pay for what they're taking from the seller. So we work with Visa, we work with Amex, we work with MasterCard, we work with Apple Pay, Android Pay. Whatever way I, as the buyer, want to make the sale happen or pay for the good, we want to make sure the seller can always make that sale. Right,
1: well, Sarah, you just brought up virtual currency. I was looking at Credit Suisse piece this morning. Bitcoin buying option could help stock. It's talking about a tech crunch story. First, is the story true? And second, you are from Goldman Sachs. Mary Meeker's on your board, maybe the great technology guru from Morgan when she was at Morgan. And David Vineyard, okay, you now he was the former CFO of Goldman. Bitcoin?
2: Really? So we're a payment innovator. And therefore, I think it behooves us to always know where are payments going. And one thing I'll tell you now working within a company, so no longer kind of sitting on the other side watching, is you just don't do academic papers at companies. You have no time. And so the only way to get people invested in figuring out what is the what about something new is to actually create a product and actually get it out there. We, when we develop products at Square, we spend a lot of time listening to what right. our customers want. And what we heard from individuals, so this isn't sellers asking to accept Bitcoin. This is individuals using Square Cash to okay. make payments. And you better saying, explain
1: Square Cash to people because
2: yeah. okay. that
1: just sounds like a different kind of cash. But go ahead.
2: I'll, I'll come through with Square Cash. All right, but Square Cash, ahead. individuals saying we want an easy way to buy and sell Bitcoin. Right? You're talking about it it's out there and so we wanna do an experiment and say okay is this real do customers actually want to be able to do this and then what it does internally is it makes everyone who supports that sort of innovation get to work and figure out how do we do this and do this in the right way?
1: Now, Jamie Dimon famously said that it uh, could be a fraud. Lloyd Blankfein, uh, Goldman Sachs, is kind of questioning about it. Now, but your customers are demanding it, so it really doesn't matter whether someone thinks it's a fr- If your customer wants it, you're going to be there helping.
2: I think ultimately you have to be out there taking some risk and being right. able to to go where innovation is going, to kind of decide up front that something you shouldn't do it. I mean, it feels like the early days of the internet or the early days of the shift to the cloud, right? How many people said, we'll never take data outside our data center, right. Right? That's not safe. And then look at what you know. my old boss, Mark Benioff, has done, for example. I know right. you know him well. So I look at digital currency like that. I don't think we know yet what it's going to be. But I think it absolutely, as an innovator, Square has to be there to let a customer do what they want to do.
1: Well, we should talk about the innovation because, for instance, you have a call on my register, if you want it. So you actually know the cash flows. I was initially very sus- suspect uh, uh, about the idea that you'd be making these loans to small business. But you actually know more about the cash than any other provider.
2: That's exactly right. So when we looked at a product like Square Capital, Mm -hmm. we said, is there a need? Goes back to what our customers want. And we know that small businesses don't get access to capital. We're offering loan sizes of $6,000, $7,000, right? A bank can't do that. It's way too cost prohibitive. What's our competitive advantage? We have access to data, so the mm-hmm. signal we get from payments is not like anything else. We have an installed base of customers that know us and trust us, yeah. and we have a way to offer the product where it matches their working capital. So when business is good, they pay back more. When business is bad, they pay back less. And they love it. So. Mm-hmm. Again, we're able to do it with loan loss rates that have been you know, approximately 4%. So when you think about who we're lending to, that's an amazing outcome.
1: Yes, it is, because those are allegedly the most dangerous people to lend. Now, you mentioned Mark Venia, and we know that these people are vested, so they're not going to – but one of the things that Mark has taught us is that if you can have access to big data and can analyze it, you can make much better decisions. Yeah. So have you uh, been able – if someone takes this, can
2: I get the data? So, where you do get access to data as a seller, sitting in your seat, is your customer data, which everyone knows is the most important thing. Right after I get access to capital to start and grow my Mm -hmm. business, I need access to customers so I can sell them more or sell to new customers. And what Square has built is an amazing ecosystem. We have 90 million unique customer IDs here in the United States. Um, When I take my first receipt on Square, Mm -hmm. Thereafter, every time I show up at Square Merchant, effectively that merchant can now contact Sarah. And we do that using the card. It's kind of an amazing superpower right. for a small business. Um, with that, they're able to put up marketing campaigns. We know that every dollar they spend, they make about $10 incremental sales. We know that about, um, they see about a 70 per, 70% lift in return customers when they use a marketing campaign off of Square. So okay. that's how they get access to the data.
1: Okay, well, one last question. Uh, when you mention Bitcoin, mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, uh, Jensen Wong at, at NVIDIA, he actually, they, they used the, the NVIDIA chips to mine Bitcoin. And he basically had to say, listen, walk it back a little. That, that can't be the narrative of my company. Are you not afraid that Bitcoin will be the narrative of Square? It's such a powerful and loved, look, you're from the business. You know how exciting it is to people. Is that what we're going to be thinking of Square as a Bitcoin
2: company? No, the narrative of our company will be economic empowerment. It's what gets us excited and up in the morning. We've gotten small business onto a platform to accept digital payments in a way they were never allowed to do. Right. Similarly, in a product like Square Cash, we're getting the underbanked up and onto a platform, getting them access to an account that gets them able to make payments online, make payments offline, and to be able to make use of Bitcoin if they want to. Wow. Uh,
1: it's a powerful story. I, I thought after we caught a triple, it might be done. I think I'm wrong. That's Sarah Fryer, CFO of Square, with a very powerful story and Bitcoin thrown in. Stick with Kramer. Thanks, you. Millennials hate change about as much as they love uh, uh, change. I'm sorry, I couldn't resist the play on words. Millennials hate change in that they gladly swipe a credit card, perhaps using a square reader, for something that costs $4.31 just to avoid having 69 cents worth of coins jangling around in their pockets. At the same time, they love change. In that when they find something new that works for them, something that doesn't pollute, keeps a smaller carbon footprint, allows them to express themselves and falls within their meager budgets, they embrace it in a heartbeat. Look, I've spent a huge amount of time on this show trying to figure out how millennials tick because they hold the key to growth for so many industries. You can't run a consumer business without appealing to the younger generation. And I tire of all the so-called experts who find kids these days to be unfathomable. In truth, they're anything but. We know what millennials value because we know what they spend their money on. There are three premium things that they're happy to pay up for. First, Uber, because they don't think it's necessary to own a car. Second, the iPhone, because it's how they socialize and consume media and interact with the world. Young people are willing to pay the equivalent of a lot of a day, Apple CEO Tim Cook's clever calculation for the cost of an iPhone 10 when subsidized by a wireless carrier to get that lifeline. And third, they'll shell out for premium makeup because they document their whole lives on Instagram and Snapchat. Hence the strength in Estee Lauder. But what about after they've made these big three purchases? We know from Carol Tomei, the CFO of Home Depot, that millennials are only just now beginning to move out of their parents' houses en masse. We know they're stretched to the limit by student debt and rent and healthcare costs. And we know they're fanatical about protecting the environment, not to spoil it. If you can address those concerns, then even companies in seemingly stale industries can start growing again. What is the 61% total shareholder return in the stock of Conagra when you include the spinoff of Lamb Weston late last year? What did Conagra do? They reinvented their tired old food brands like Healthy Choice in a way that actually appeals to millennials. Same goes for Tyson Foods, which bought Hillshire Brands in part to expand the the reach to the younger demo. Both these companies have been trying to navigate not only the headwinds of millennial preferences, but also the changes these kids are bringing to the supermarket space. ConAgra is changing its whole product line to satisfy this huge but cash-strapped group of consumers. Its best move? I think it's replacing the plastic containers with biodegradable compost paper. Because millennials can't stand packaging that pollutes the environment. Something that Procter & Gamble still hasn't learned with its horrendous plastic Gillette packaging. I wonder if that will change now that Insurgent Nelson Peltz just won a seat on the board. ConAgra's second best move? Adopting the clean label strategy. The old label, very long. This one, very clean. Remember International Flavors and Fragrances CEO Andrews Fibig just talked about the importance of clean labels for millennials the other night. Third best? Here's the lucky one. Being in the frozen food aisle, do you know that millennials crave convenience enough and they crave lower price enough and the ability to stay home enough that they actually go into the freezer aisle? If you can cut out the preservatives by flash freezing this stuff and keeping the cost down, the freezer aisle can be a real profit generator again, especially when you appeal to them with new packaging, with clean labels. Remember, frozen food is making a major comeback. And we learned that from Tyson's Tom Hayes a few weeks ago. Now, ConAgra is a packaged food company, so it's not going to master everything. There's no way for it to become experiential like the cruise lines I like so much. And as much as I actually devour Angie's boom, Chicka pop, it can't uproot the fabulous to lay franchise that Injury nui has got for PepsiCo. But one thing's for certain, ConAgra understands and embraces the change that millennials are demanding. That's how you stay fresh. That's how you win. Because my cohort, oh, we think we're important. Doesn't everyone think they're important? But we're no longer clued in. What baby boomers buy is not the same or as important as what millennials buy. People my age are actually fine with antibiotics. We thought they were good for us. At least, maybe in our bodies, if not in our chickens. And plastic? Oh, what the heck? It's fine. Millennials aren't fine with it. And like it or not, they're the future. I feel like my generation's become an irrelevant vestige of a branded past. I'm antediluvian. Forget what you want. You need to know what the younger generation wants if you're going to pick winners in this stock market. Let's speak to Frank in New Jersey. Frank! Booyah, Jim. Booyah, Frank. Frank.
0: So my question is, what do you think of the current massive PR backlash on top of its missed earnings from a few weeks ago for EA, Electronic Arts? Should we keep it or jump ship? I think you
1: should keep it. I think it's a nutty thing that the stock's going down. More importantly, I think the Take-Two Interactive is doing great. And I like Activision Blizzard. I went over that quarter nine ways to Sunday. It's owned by uh, my, uh, cha- my chapel trust. You can follow along, Plus.com, and i got to tell you, major mistake to sell that one. But people keep doing it. Wrong. Let's go to Suzanne in New York. Suzanne.
3: Yes. Hi, Jim. It is Suzanne, and I love your show. My husband and I look forward to it
1: every single evening. Thank you so Uh, much. I love that loyal viewers. Thank you. Uh,
0: My question is Ulta Cosmetics. Uh, We averaged out at about 260, and it's now selling at around 200. And um, we needed your advice whether to hold on or just take all loss.
1: No, I don't want you to hold Remember, we actually don't care where a stock's coming from when they have money. We care about where it's going to, as you know, because you're a loyal viewer. I would say this. I think that Ulta's stock has gotten undervalued, that Mary Dillon's doing a good job, but the stock got ahead of itself, and now it's coming down to where it sells at about 22 times earnings. I would not sell it. I would not yet be a buyer because I want to be sure that we get the right price. Joseph in Virginia. Joseph.
3: Hello again, Jim from the outlaw of Jersey in Virginia.
1: Oh right, I remember well, it, absolutely and happy early
3: Thanksgiving to you and your family.
1: Oh thank you, same. How can I help?
3: My question is about Roku symbol R O K U. It was up nine or ten points
2: Monday. It was up today three points. What's your opinion on this All right, this is a total short part?
1: squeeze. People got caught the wrong way. They thought that Amazon was going to come in and eat their lunch. Turns out that Roku's got a, royal, a loyal following. I do not touch short squeezes. They're too hard to fathom, people. All right, you want to stay fresh? Think about what the millennials want. They hold the key to your growth. Watch where we have money at. It's a company that provides the world's top chefs and be- biggest restaurants with industry-leading equipment. What can it tell us about the health of the restaurant industry? I'm talking to the CEO of Wellbuilt, used to be part of Manitowoc. Then, it's a private company, the nexus of fitness, technology, and media. Tonight, I'm talking to Flywheel about how it's adding a new concept to your workout. And all your calls, rapid fire, in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Are you um, door? door? Uh, yes. I have. All these years I've been saying dour, but apparently I've been <sighs> door. No, absolutely. Yeah, uh, but I try not to be morose. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. I'm always telling you about the power of spin-offs, but just how far can that take you? When big companies break themselves up and split off a smaller division as an independent business, it can create a tremendous amount of value. It's easier for Wall Street to get its collective head around a focused, bite-sized company, and investors are more likely to buy the stocks of companies that they can understand. Sooner or later, though, that value gets baked in. Consider the case of WellBuilt, WBT. It's the maker of kitchen equipment for the restaurant industry and was spun up by Manitowoc. That's a crane manufacturer last year. Clearly, the company behind Frymaster didn't belong under the same roof with the construction play. Sure enough, last year, well-built stock rallied 40 percent from the spinoff so far in 2017. It's tacked on about 10 percent, although it's been weak of late. After reporting a quarter that some believe was below analyst estimates, so let's check in with you, Bertus Muhlhauser. He's the CEO of Well-Built. Find uh, how the company's doing and where it is headed, Mr. Muehlhauser, Welcome back to Bad Money. Sure, Good thank to you see very you. Much. All right, since the spinoff, and you said on you said on our show, yeah. it would matter tremendously in order to be able to be more laser focused. How's it been?
0: It has been great, I think, and um, and I think this year is, um, I mean, our performance is as expected, I would say. We, we basically promised more performance improvement, higher EBITDA numbers, and, um, and we promised last year a journey of 1,000 basis points. In year one, we did 330. This year, we're very well to do another 150 to 200. So at the end of the year, we're going to be halfway through the journey. And also on the top line, um, actually... The industry is challenged, however, right. we are outgrowing the industry right now. Well, and it's challenged but because there's so many competitors or because the industry is not growing fast enough? No, the industry is not growing. The industry no. was called down. It is growing, but on a slower pace right. initially expected. In the beginning of the year, growth was foreseen around 2% in the industry. Mm-hmm. It was called down to 1% to 2%. Right. And we were by mid-year growing already 3.4% organically. And then despite right. a small decline in Q3, which we anticipated, right. we're still up. So we we are up 1.7 percent, handily outgrowing all our competitors into space. So we're very happy with the performance.
1: OK, so we've got Middleby, we have uh, Illinois Toolworks, good company. It, yeah. the, the company, Marmon Group, that's owned by uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Yes. I imagine you have to distinguish yourself by technology, particularly the Internet of Things. So tell me about some of the, of the things you're up to to be able to make it so that maybe there's less labor costs or maybe less electricity, smaller
0: uh, footprint yeah. We see ourselves as leaders in what we call fit kitchen system sales. So so there, there's one big distinction from us and the competitors that is we own all the different components of the system. So at Wellbuild you get everything from an ice machine, walk-in, refrigeration, but also the complete hot side. And what we're doing right now, specifically for those large QSRs, we're bundling, we we're qu- connecting our surf. equipment, quick serve restaurants, right. we're connecting our equipment in order to get efficiency um, savings, to get to get energy. savings to get labor down, more automation, and that's how we distinguish and we do this with a very, very specific approach, which is Fit Kitchen, and we have this integrated R&D backbone that we are working side by side with the largest companies, and we talked about this. This year, we won year-to-date Twelve large system um, rollouts, so to say, projects where we work side by side with these large companies, and we are fairly unique in that. And this excites us.
1: Well, everybody should know. I mean, there's Starbucks, McDonald's, Subway, Pizza. I mean, you're in all the big ones. And at, once you're in, you've also got great maintenance, right? Those—that's a very sticky business once you're in. That is
0: a very sticky business, and that is also the reason why the IoT is so important. The, in the internet things, of okay. Things. What we're doing right now is we're connecting our equipment not only in order to be able to automate but also to be able to upload information into the cloud that is very, very important for those operators that you just mentioned, because they would like to do data analytics. They would like to see how can I extend the the shelf life of my oil, for example, in a fryer. But at the same time, it's for us very important because we do predictive, preventive maintenance. So we would like to know which spare part is going to fail before it fails in order to guarantee uptime. And that is the exciting development with IoT, and we're investing a lot of money into that. Okay,
1: so what do you do if if people feel that a particular industry is overstored like restaurants. Can you go, uh, is there, you do food service, you do hospice, you can do everybody, but if it's slow, if restaurants really do slow down, what, what can Welbel do, just take well, share from the other guys?
0: We will take share. We're taking yeah. share this year, you see that. So do you think our, you can go
1: to be number one? Oh, I yes, absolutely. Strategy,
0: do? Oh, very clearly. Our strategy is very clear to become number one again in the industry. Welbel right. was number one. We want to be back there where we once been. And, um, and we're outgrowing the industry right now this year, even though our standard intent was just to grow with the market, but we're right. outgrowing. And next year, we want to outgrow the industry by 100, 200 basis points. But to come back to your question... What, what you're seeing right now is that 60% of the business is with the restaurants. Right. And, um, and you might say that there are too many restaurants around. However, all of those restaurants need to invest in order to right. stay relevant. They need to invest into the freshness of the food, into variety. Right. So, so basically, we are, we are seeing right now that these restaurants, despite being in a difficult mm-hmm. industry, are investing in order to stay relevant. Some are going to succeed. Right. Some are going to invest and not going to succeed, but they, they're all investing. And that's what we're seeing. And that's why this industry is so healthy and always growing, despite on a slower level right now.
1: Right. well, I think you guys, whoever offers the best, te- best technology and best service wins. And I know you guys are doing, doing that right now. That's you, Bertis Muehlhauser, president and CEO of Wellbuilt WBT, outgoing industry, and taking share from the other guys. We have money back in at- It is time! It's time for the lightning round! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, ski? Daddy, it's time for the lightning round! Let's start with Chris in Connecticut. Chris! Booyah, Kramer from the Litchfield Hills. Oh, beautiful. There, what's going on? Hey, man, my question's about uh, Alteryx, I bought it back in uh, March, and I still have it. I'm up about 50%. Let it run or cash in? I want you to let it run. I just hear nothing but good things about that. It's small-cap stock that's going to the big time. Keep it. Mike in New Jersey. Mike, my bike. Hey, Jim,
3: how are you today?
1: Couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. How about you? I'm great. I'm, uh, I'd am i love that to get on the phone with you. Same. Um, I have a question about MNK. I have an answer. Sell, 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 they sell, sell. They paid so much sell. for Actar. I don't know why they did that. It was kind of a nutty thing to do. We're going to say no. Ixnay on Malincrotnay. Donald, New Jersey, Donald. Oh, yeah, Jim Cramer. How are you? I am doing great, Donald. You sound like you're calling from around the corner. How can I help? Uh, Jersey City, New Jersey there you go. Uh, I is, knew it, uh, I knew it, I knew it How about it? <laughs> My stock is TVTT Every since the third, every since the third quarter The stock has been going down, down, Jim You know, it's a British company I don't know it I don't know Travelport I know the uh, payments process space But I do not know that one So I'm going to have to come back uh, 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 uh. We're going to Peter, Massachusetts Peter yeah, Jim Cramer How Booyah. you doing? Good, how about you? Great,
0: great, great. I need some help. I got wrecked last week in Childs River Laboratory. Yeah, people
1: thought the quarter wasn't that good. I mean, we should get Jim Foster back on. I thought the quarter was okay. This is like Idex Labs and like Henry Shine. Periodically, you get a quarter, and people think it's not that great, but I like that company. I'm going to Robert in West Virginia. Robert. Yes, Jim. Robert here. First-time yeah. caller. Okay. Jim, I have some stock in GoPro. And I thought GoPro would have a better quarter. I still think it might be okay, but boy, they did throw cold water on the whole darn situation that last conference call. And that, ladies and gentlemen, the conclusion of the Lightning Round!
3: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade.
1: a company managed to capture two of the biggest secular growth trends of our Europe. You better believe it catches my attention. That's why tonight we're going off the tape with Flywheel, the privately held up-and-coming indoor cycling chain that's become very popular in New York City. What sets this story apart from its myriad competitors? Simple. Flywheel puts a special emphasis on technology. Their bikes track your performance so that you can get a more personalized workout. And this morning, the company took that to its logical conclusion, rolling out a new product. It's called Fly Anywhere, a stationary bike equipped with a tablet display that you can ride at home in order to take their classes remotely, either streaming them live or watching them on demand. And you don't even need to plug it in because your pedaling provides the power. The tablet-equipped bike will sell for $2,099, not exactly cheap. But I think people will be willing to pay up, given that this company's found a way to fuse the fitness craze with the convenience of the stay-at-home economy, though I don't know if it's really a craze. So let's take a closer look. With Sarah Rob O'Hagan, she's the CEO of Flywheel. Learn more about this exciting new store and the development. Ms. Rob O'Hagan, welcome to Mad Money. Thank Hi. you so much, Sarah. Have Hi. a seat. It's this to is be great. Here. All right, so Sarah, my first question is, how is this different from others? We've had Peloton on, yeah. and looks like it's a new device, but it seems very compelling. But I want to know, like, why yeah. I should choose it over another?
3: Well, first of all, um, like the 16.99 offering, as you can see here, it's Bluetooth enabled, so you put your own device right okay. here on the tray and stream it to your own TV. And by the way, big screen experience, like huge speakers, amazing immersive experience, which we think is pretty awesome.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, it sounds so awesome that I wonder why I would want to go to the studio. It sounds pretty compelling.
3: No, it's a great question. And we actually find in fitness, like there's a real community aspect to it. And a lot of our writers are saying, you know, I love being in the studio, but there are days when I'm traveling or there are days when I'm at, you know, a different location and I want to be able to do it in my home as well.
1: Well, also, I imagine that sometimes you can't get into class or you have time or you have. a a child at home, you can do this. Now, um, when I think about this, I wonder, uh, my wife goes to Lori B. in Milburn, okay? You know, if it's, uh, you want to get the person in the studio, uh, but I think that this could be so compelling that I have to tell you that I think, well, you know what?
3: Um, I'd like to have it at home, and then maybe I cancel my membership. Oh, no. No. No, <laughs> All no right. but actually, the way we think about it and from a business model standpoint is that the whole will be greater than the sum of its parts, right? So we have 42 studios today. We're quite bullish about the studio experience itself and rolling that out. But as you know, there's a limit to how many locations in the U.S. you're ever right. going to get to, whereas once you offer an experience like this, you're building that brand equity that people hear about that go, hey, I've heard of that. I can't get to a studio, <laughs> (laughs) but I can put it in my home.
1: Okay, so you have a really kind of very... Big runway. I yeah. mean, you're only you have 42. Is your goal to be in most of the major uh, metropolises?
3: Absolutely. No, we definitely want to keep growing right. with the studio business. Listen, we. What's interesting about flywheel, right? Is that there's about 100 million Americans that work out at least one day a week. Okay. Now, there's 40 million that work out five to six days a week, and they make up about 70 to 80 percent of our rider base. So what that tells you is we get the super into fitness people. Right. And we want to get more of them. <laughs>
1: all right. Well, um, it, some people would hear that price tag and think it's a lot. Can you yeah. give me a comparison to tell me why that is not a very high price tag for these people, for that cohort that you're yeah, talking about? Yeah,
3: absolutely. I mean, this is the cohort that's spending their outdoor cycling, They're running, They're doing events. Like, this is a lifestyle for them. And so when you think of sort of share of wallet, like, we're not just competing just straight head for head with fitness dollars. It's all the other things in that lifestyle, the equipment that goes into it.
1: All right. Now, tell me about the... Uh, uh uh-huh. The arc of spinning. Uh-huh. I mean, there was a time, I remember I went on a vacation 10 years ago, and there was a spin instructor. I had no idea what spinning is.
3: <laughs> now it's hard to find people who don't spin. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So it is like it started way back in the 80s. But what's cool about Flywheel, we were the first company to put technology on the bike. So as you know, in the old days, the instructor says, i oh, turn up the resistance, and like, we'll that's kind of pretending, was, right? you know. Whereas now with us, like we're saying, here's a number, we want you to hit this kind of output, which gives you that accountability, right? That's why we're a Acting such a sort of competitive and passionate athlete because they're like they want to push their results to the next level and we help them do that.
1: Okay, uh, if I were watching my screen, and I'm watching the best of the best. What yeah. do you? Who's creating the content?
3: Who's creating the content? Now yeah. that is what I'm most proud of, okay. by the way, is our instructors kick ass. I have to. I don't know if I can say it on the show. What no, well, you just
1: said. It, so it's kind <laughs> of point.
3: Because we um, have put a lot of time and effort into the fitness credibility behind it. We call right. it the flywheel method. It's a proprietary okay. hit workout that you're doing on the bike. And we have the best instructors teaching it. So right.
1: Well, last question. A lot of times when my wife is up, to, she just says, okay, listen, I want to be on the, on the ladder of yep. seeing, but sometimes you want to be anonymous. What do you totally. find most people do?
3: Yeah, it's actually interesting, like half and half. But half what we half? found is that people like your wife who say, I don't want to be on the board today, they're pacing against other people that are. And, right. So on the, actually, the at-home experience, we have a feature called the pacer. So you can pace either against yourself or another person, which is
1: Well, I think it's important because yeah. the, the experience, the community, about totally. my wife Loves the studio because yeah. although she doesn't like to sit in the front row. Oh,
3: really? No, she no. Row three is. Okay. Oh, row three. Row three, three is good. But she loves the community. Yeah, it's all about the community.
1: Well, Absolutely. terrific. Okay, I wish you the best of Thank luck. Thank you. That's Sarah Rob O'Hagan, the CEO of Flywheel, with the brand new bike that I think you can do both. You can go to the studio for the community, or if you can't get away, you can do it at home. Stick with Craig. Training up tonight. Procter & Gamble, Nelson Peltz joined the board. I think he'll shake the joint up. Would have been nice if they made a gesture and put him on before the recount. And Cisco keeps going even higher. Why? Because they beat the numbers top and bottom line. Congratulations to Chuck Robbins for delivering a dynamite quarter. The first, I hope, of many. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer and I will see you tomorrow!